The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, at Anfield, epic horror called Seven, as a shaken Ten Hag looks into the box and sees some terrifying defending there. We salute Liverpool in seventh heaven, ask did the United manager use the hairdryer after, and was it, you know, the first time in a while. Also today, we salute Admirable Nelson and his stunner for the Gunners, Brighton boys as they destroy Moyes, and Sean Dyche and his false Force Nine, and the most entertaining relegation battle in history. It's the Totally Football Show. It's a long time since I've been as confident about a Liverpool win against United. This is a difficult place for United to come. Oh, it's a Super Bowl. Gakpo is onto it. It's Cody Gakpo! Reach Harvey Elliott here. Headed in by Darwin Nunez. You can have setbacks, but what can't happen is that you don't stick together. And Gakpo! In that second half today, they were unprofessional. And it falls for Salah! That Manchester United group of players have been eaten alive in that second half. Lifted in by Henderson. Bye! It's Fabinho Salah. It's six. Oh, that's the run they wanted. That is the cherry on the icing on the cake. It's madness! It's cool, absolutely cool. Fantastic night for all our people. Wow, thank you to Joe and company there. It's Monday the 6th of March, listener. Uh, one day on from Liverpool's Magnificent Seven. One day on from United's joint heaviest defeat ever. Daniel Story, Tim Spears and Tom Williams are on your totally today. Tim and I, hello Tim here in the studio. Hey, James. And Daniel and Tom from variously, what sort of Leicestershire and Paris, is that right? Uh, yes, Nottinghamshire and Paris. Nottinghamshire yes. and Paris. All right. The big, the big two. The big yes. two. So um, that cackling in the montage—you just shot me by telling me that was Jamie Carragher. Yeah, you can see it in the clips that that Sky Sports put on Twitter after the game. He tries to move his uh, commentary microphone far enough away from his mouth so as not to not to capture it too loudly but that is very much uh, a delightful giddy Jamie Carragher cackle that is uh, that is captured well it was an extraordinary afternoon it was of course so Daniel you were there at ground zero at Anfield on on Sunday afternoon Tom meanwhile you were in a French studio for match of the day the French Premier League roundup show Sunday night really interested to hear what what the French made of it very very shortly Tim you're also here and itching to tell us about your trip this weekend, which was at Molyneux. Mm, I was at home in Wolverhampton for the weekend. There you go. Delight. All right. Well, so much to enjoy in today's show. Uh, but first, this. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. All right, then. Anfield, Sunday afternoon, Liverpool 7, Man United none. Daniel Story was watching. Daniel, you've described it as one of the strangest games you've ever been to. Why? And what did your match report look like at half-time? Uh, thankfully, I was doing the score during the first half, so I hadn't didn't have to delete 600 words after about 65 minutes, or maybe it was even 55 minutes. Um, yeah, it was. It was incredibly strange because um, we've seen big team lose to big team heavily before, you know, Man United to, to Man City and Arsenal to Man United, the 8-2 spring to mind. But I don't think in either of those, the team that lost, lost their heads so spectacularly as United did in the second half yesterday. It was laughable and it, it was genuinely funny watching, kind of watching Bruno try and manufacture a foul and then cry a little bit and then Luke Shaw steam out of defence one way while Lissandro Martinez runs in a completely opposite direction to try and kick someone else and Liverpool players just sort of point at the gap and run into it it was bizarre I think it's it's vaguely reassuring in that I say this quite a bit on this show but whenever you see the impact of coaching making a difference I'm always reassured that maybe it's not just about who's got the best players because 
that what yesterday was is a team that had clearly ignored all instructions in the second half. And as soon as they let that first goal in after the break, they just did what they wanted. They just roamed around like toddlers in a playground. It was just, it was embarrassing. And yet, and every team you play, whether it's Liverpool or, you know, Everton or Nottingham Forest or Preston North End will make you look silly if you just run around like children and have no structure at all. It was it was like a control experiment for team versus individuals, basically. Mm. You, you take it more as a, a Man United falling apart than a, a, a Liverpool restored to former greatness. Tom, what, what did they say about this in, in France? I mean, we, we didn't have a huge amount of time to discuss the, the game, sadly, because our live coverage uh, immediately ran into the uh, evening programme. Uh, Canal Football Club, uh, which is more of a magazine-type show. So we had to try and condense our thoughts into about three minutes post-game. Mm. I was on with Samir Nasri and Christophe Lollichon, the former Chelsea goalkeeping coach. And, yeah, it was a case of, of, sort of trying to make sense of what we just witnessed in the space of about two or three minutes. Uh, a lot of kind of very perplexed noises and then end of the show. Um, but I mean, I, I, was, I was thinking about this game in sort of the wider Premier League context. And I'm not sure I've ever seen a more remarkable scoreline in Premier League history. Well, we've seen big results before. We've seen teams be annihilated. Daniel mentioned, you know, Arsenal losing 8-2 at, at, at Man United. But, you know, there was a time when Arsenal would get thrashed every now and again by one of their big rivals. That was never all that surprising. We've seen United be thrashed by Liverpool in recent years. You know, they shipped nine goals against them last season and, and didn't score any goals in reply. But this was supposed to be a new Man United, mm. a resurgent Man United, you know, with the Carabao Cup in their in their pockets after last weekend. And looking back to pre-match, I, I, I can't remember the last time Manchester United as, as a team, but also, you know, Man United fans, ex-Man United players... I can't remember the last time they turned up at Anfield in such confident mood. I mean, there was that clip that did did the rounds before kickoff of Graham Sooner saying that he was he felt quite confident about well, the way Liverpool were going. I think he and, was answering Rio. Keane, I think he was answering yeah. Rio Ferdinand, who'd said that he'd never been that confident about United's chances. Yeah, and Roy Keane and Gary Neville kind of like la- laughing, um, and you know, it, it was a great reminder of of, of what a remarkable sport uh, football yeah. is, and also I think. Uh, for me, you look at what happened in that second half, I, I think a team that is less sure of itself responds in a different way to the way that United responded. I think the way United responded was we are, you know, uh, we are uh, having a, a good season. We are a good team again. We, have our, we know what we're doing. And so we're, we're not going to take this line down. We're going to hit back. We're going to keep attacking. And in a way, it reminded me a bit of the 6-1 uh, defeat against Man City that, that, that Daniel mentioned in that United's problem in that game was that they kept on attacking and City picked them off on the counter-attack. And it was a similar kind of thing uh, at Anfield yesterday. United didn't respond to a team who were at risk of falling to a historic shellacking. They responded like a team who still thought that they were capable of somehow taking charge of the game um, and ended up, you know, having their having their bottom spanked uh, in, in, in a way that I don't think we've ever seen happen mm. to a Man United team in the Premier League era. First time they've shipped seven since the days of Nye Bevan, as, as many... Liverpool supporters were commenting afterwards. It's their joint heaviest defeat ever, bigger since Boxing Day in 1931. Liverpool, though, as much as we thought that Man United had turned various corners, etc., under Ten Hag, and maybe this exposes the veneer of professionalism that he'd put on top of the chipboard squad, etc. But Liverpool, Tim... We didn't think that this team would gel like this. Yeah, they, they, they found themselves again. It was, it was the Liverpool we remember. The rock and roll sort of football was back. Um, the biggest compliment I can pay them is that they kept my dad awake because he, uh, he normally has an afternoon nap around that time. But he was, he was absolutely enthralled. Um, I also felt sorry for Liverpool that they only had uh, three minutes of stoppage time at the end in which to score more goals. I, I, honestly, I'm so, I'm so annoyed by that. I, I feel like it's... It's a bit of a disgrace, really. Right. You would normally add on a minute per goal, and they scored six, six in the second and there half. Were, there were ten subs in that second half. Right. So at what point do, do, does the fourth official and the referee decide that this game is over and mm. we can just give them a couple of minutes? Is it, is it like 3-0, 4-0, 5-0? They just give them a token three minutes. You know, Liverpool earned the right to, to humiliate United um, even further. I was also kind of wondering how we describe this. It's more than a rout. Um, Tom said shellacking there. Mm. 
Uh, he also used the word spanked, which which I think is quite good. Mm. Um, I mean, it 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 is a, it's a beating, it's a thrashing, but m- m- maybe there's no word that's adequate enough to describe it. But it was. Um, yeah, I mean, also, part of the problem is we used up a lot of the humiliation words, you know, all the kind of heavy defeat words when United got thrashed twice by Liverpool last or season. Or when Liverpool yeah. lost a match to Real Madrid the other day yeah, as well. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I, was another reason why I guess a lot of Man United fans were so confident about their chances in this big game. Uh, until the 43rd minute, a lot of observers had them as possibly the better side. And then Cody Gakpo, with that wonderful finish, opens the scoring... But then you have half time and surely United are going to turn this around. But then, Daniel, then what happens? Well, I think I think it was down to it just shows the power of, of confidence because it seemed like that one pass from Andrew Roberts in the first half, which kind of made Fred spin up sort of 720 degrees and not know where the ball was. And then Gakpo's ability to just I mean, he made Raphael Varane look very ordinary. Varane just looked like he was sort of almost slipping and sliding the wrong way and Gakpo just dances inside and finishes. It, it, it almost as if Anfield was sort of awoken by that because they were nervy when Bruno Fernandes and when Rashford missed a chance, they were getting on the referee's back. There was a kind of, kind of rumble as if to say, we're worried what might happen today. And that goal seemed to just sort of awaken everything. And... And it awoke Liverpool's players. We've been talking all season about the the kind of limpness in midfield. And yet, it's amazing that when you've got a a strong defensive line and you've got a forward line that's suddenly seeming to click and kind of dance and dip into different spaces, it's amazing how much better your midfield can look when every time they pass the ball forward, someone does something special. Um, It was a a brilliant... I thought Salah was the best player and he's come in for a, a lot of criticism this season, understandably after the new contract and the kind of dip thereafter, but... The way he kind of, what they seem to do is is to target Dallow in the first half and in the first 60 minutes by having kind of Nunes and Gakpo almost doubling up on him on the left. And Salah just had the rest of the, the pitch or the rest of that, the width of the pitch. And he was magnificent. He he he, he tore Shaw apart. He, he I mean, that, that move on Lissandro Martinez when he kind of Jedi mind tricked him to the floor was just sensational. And Cody Gakpo looks like a finisher all of a sudden because he, he had a bit of Nunez-itis in that he was having a lot of shots but not necessarily finishing them but those finishes were remarkable. Mm. Uh, Nunez who himself got a brace in this game and Roberto Firmino with the seventh in the week in which he revealed he will be leaving this summer. At what point did United break Tom Williams? That is a good question. Um, just looking at the timings of the goal, but 40, obviously they went in at halftime 1-0 down. Was it the third from Cody Gakpo? Nunez makes it 2-0 in the 47th minute. Gakpo makes it 3-0 in the 50th minute. And that was, yeah, that was after the um, Salah did his, little, did his little number on Martinez. So maybe it was at some point between the third goal and the fourth goal. Although there were 16 minutes of respite between Gakpo's <laughs> second and Salah's first. So, you know, perhaps they hadn't completely lost the run of themselves. But just to go, go back to Liverpool a bit, I, I felt that Liverpool, right from the start of the game, looked a lot more recognisable. I thought first 20, 25 minutes, you saw things from Liverpool that you hadn't seen um, that much this season. I thought Fabinho in particular, who has, has for me kind of embodied uh, Liverpool's struggles this season. He's looked an absolute shadow of himself for most of the campaign. But, last, but you know, yesterday we saw him stepping forward, you know, making interceptions in, you know, high up the pitch. He was involved in, I think, Salah's first goal. He wins the ball back high up the pitch. But even in, in the first half, you saw you saw signs of that. You saw both of the fullbacks getting involved. I thought Andy Robertson was was fantastic. Um, obviously, you know, plays a key role in in the opener for Gakpo. But you know, you, you saw you saw signs of that even before um, Liverpool got the first goal. And I think it was a sign that you know an awful lot of what has happened with Liverpool this season has been. You know, I've said this before on the pod, but I think a lot of it has been sort of emotional, psychological, you know, partly physical as well. After after the the many highs of last season, there has been this kind of crash. And I think what what yesterday showed was that if you sort of if you motivate these players in the right way and obviously the fact that they're now basically full strength, you look at the starting eleven yesterday and OK, maybe you put Thiago in, maybe you put Luis Diaz in. But apart from that, that's that's pretty much the first choice eleven. And you get everyone firing and Liverpool are still capable of, of doing what, you know, what we've been used to seeing them do in recent seasons. And, you know, obviously they, they, they go into that second leg against Real Madrid very much mm. uh, unfavoured to turn things around. But, I th- you know, I think the fact that they, they scored so many goals and, and attacked with 
with such with such clinical precision will we'll give them that little bit of belief because if there is you know a, a team in the whole of Europe who are capable of, of, of pulling off it's Real uh, improbable European comebacks it is well either Real Madrid or, or Liverpool indeed so alright well uh, Daniel you mentioned in the score the danger of drawing conclusions for Liverpool or Man United from uh, such a freakish fixture as this but it's inevitable that we wonder what this means for their prospects Wednesday week in the Champions League or even for the top four race where they're now just three points, Liverpool, behind Spurs with a game in hand. A quick uh, couple of numbers for you. Uh, Mo Salah has now scored in his last six games against Man United, 11 goals in those matches. He is, of course, now Liverpool's all-time Premier League goal scorer, overtaking Robbie Fowler, 129 goals in 205 appearances. My favourite stat comes from, of course, Duncan Alexander, who points out that Liverpool have played 25 games in the Premier League this season. More than a third of all the goals they've scored have come in two matches, just two of them. Bournemouth and Man United. Uh, there's also um, Andy Robertson with his, with, I mean, there's more than an assist for that first goal because he actually points to Gakpo and tell, tells him where to run before he plays the pass. Um, so he's now overtaken Mesut Ozil with more assists in the Premier League. The king of the assists. Really? Andy Robertson? Dethroned by oh, a Scottish left-back. Magnificent. Uh, Paul Newman writing in, and many thanks to everyone who did uh, uh, send in questions. But Paul Newman asking, can Liverpool beat Real Madrid on the back of that performance? Uh, Tom, as, as you were uh, uh, positing. Uh, Bruno Longinus, though, replying, Liverpool played on the counter-attack Sunday afternoon, which they can't do at the Bernabeu with that deficit. Yeah, I mean, I don't think yeah, I don't think they're going to go in through the Champions League. And that's kind of why I, I wrote, sometimes we don't have to like project this onto another game because mm. that, that almost off, offers a negative connotation on, well, they won't be able to play like this in other games. It's like, you've literally just beaten Man United 7-0. Like, that is, that's good. You're allowed to dwell on that for a little bit. Mm. The, the, the maddest, one of the maddest bits of the game is having watched Liverpool beat Man United 7-0 was the celebrations in the seventh goal where the pitch invader runs from one side of Anfield to the other slips and kind of two-footed tackles, but one foot on each ankle of Andy Robertson and Curtis Jones, both of whom were then hobbling down the touchline. And Jurgen Klopp, understandably, because he'd run down the touchline to kind of sort of not get involved in the celebrations, but be near them. And he was obviously near this bloke as he got walked past. And he he was screaming at this at this guy for... Like, I mean, obviously, it's stupid to do anyway, but then when you slip and if he's injured two players in that move, which you know they were both hobbling for the last two minutes of the game, that would be absolutely astounding. Um, it just kind of summed up a mad day for me. Like, we're all looking at each other in the press, what sort of thinking did, did the support just injure two players in one move? Yes, that did happen as well. It, it, was, it was wild, and, and, and the, the kind of even the commentary added to that because you had Neville and Carragher. Neville told Carragher to do one at one point. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, is, is, the, is the fan zone back on Sky? Like it was just, it was, and they were taking selfies, they were cackling. It's absolutely bizarre. Let's talk about Man United a, a second or two. Now, Ten Hag had enormous success after United's early problems this season by dropping a big name, petulant Portuguese star. If only <laughs> that kind of option was available to him this time. That was genuinely the least professional thing I've seen on a football pitch since probably since William Gallas sat down and sulked in the pennant air and decided he didn't really want to carry on anymore. Um, it was it was embarrassing because it was drawn out over 20 minutes. We've seen like petulant reactions from players before, but this wasn't petulant because petulant indicates some sort of kind of instinct lashing out. This was over a period of about 20 minutes. He He, he didn't run once to track back. He constantly was wine for fouls it looked like and 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 you know I don't know so I'm gonna let the Sky Sports commentators take the jip on this one if it's mm. not right but it looked like he has to be substituted and that's what the Skycom said yeah the, um, the footage is it's it's pretty un, unclear on that I would say no yeah agreed but he he was certainly whining about something and yet yeah. doing absolutely nothing and he's the captain he's got a captain's armband I, I, I don't think Ten Hag will strip him of the captaincy because really um well, because it kind of almost creates a bigger legacy out of the defeat where they're trying to say this was just an off day, we move on. I think what will happen is... But Ten Hag's kind of big thing has been if you cross any line, yeah, yeah, you yeah. will pay the price because that's the only way people respect the line. So I would expect there to be quite significant Well, he has, yeah. They've been leaking this kind of no dickheads policy that they've taken from the All Blacks. But the reality is, is that I think they'll probably spin this as like Bruno hates to lose. It shows he's a winner, you know. But yeah, it was embarrassing. The the kick out at 
Bisetich, I think it was, where he just kind of kicks out. The player doesn't go to, flo- to the floor, so he right. tries another kick out and then just stops running. That was, and just walks that was the Later on, yeah. I think it was Trent that he shoves over, then shoves yeah. the linesman and gets away with that. He tried I mean, to that's, get that was the worst thing. Off. That was yeah, the worst he should, thing he did, yeah. Sho- sho- shoving the lines. I mean, yeah. you know, to make a serious point at a time when violence against against match officials in in amateur football is is higher than it's ever been, and, and and amateur match officials are leaving the game in droves. To have a you know the captain of of Manchester United petulantly shove. Okay, it wasn't a violent shove, but the the image that sends out is so damaging, and you can understand from a Man United perspective how annoying it is. And I think Gary Neville summed this up quite well to see. You know, a player as important to the team as Fernandez throwing his arms up in disgust and all the rest of it. But there's mm. a serious point to be made about about how bad it looks, what a bad a, you know what a bad message it sends out to be manhandling match officials. And I think if he's going to be if he's going to be sort of um, punished for, for for anything, then you know that that deserves to be singled out. Chris Jones says, "I'm not sure that that defeat or that result would have happened if someone other than Fernandez had had the armband." What do you think, Tim? specifically had that that bit of material around his around his arm well in the I'm, sense I'm, that you know, had I'm you not... had another person that if there'd been a leader on the field i yeah. guess yeah i guess i guess maybe it did highlight a, 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 an issue with lack of leaders uh, uh, you know i mean nobody was taking control of that team in the second half whatsoever mm. um i mean it, it, it this, there's nothing to do with formations or team selection just everybody lost everybody lost their heads so there were some like defining images the one of martinez with his body and his head looking in the complete different direction to, to Mo Salah would be one. You mentioned crossing the line earlier, and, mm. and, and, and Dallow decided to cross the line so, so he couldn't prevent the seventh goal going in. Um, uh, Casimiro, who's been holding things together, you know, he's, after half an hour, his pass accuracy was 43%. Um, he managed to get it up to 63, which must be his, his lowest of the season by a mile. So everybody just had a, a huge off day. It's hard, it's hard to explain... Um, exactly how and where that's come from because there, there have there been are, no clues in the last few weeks there are a number of like golden rules you teach kids when you're coaching them and it's like you know don't all go after the, the ball moves f- faster than the man and don't all clump together in one area of the pitch i think we can add if you are going to try and clear a, a shot off the line don't stand two yards behind the line to try and do that because it was so funny watching he, he actually sort of half appealed that the ball hadn't crossed the line before realizing like he was almost touching net extraordinary and also not to, I mean, not to be too dramatic about it, but I mean, this this is a a real stain on this entire season for United. I mean, you know, this this may well prove to be the season of United's resurgence. They've obviously won their first trophy since 2017. Still in the FA Cup, they're still in the Europa League. They might end up, they may end up winning three trophies. And, and, and Eric Ten Hag has clearly had a massive impact. Casemiro has clearly had a massive impact, but. This will always be the season when they went to Anfield and lost seven 0 and conceded six goals in in the second half in front mm. of the cop and and you know for, for for United fans but also for Liverpool fans that's not something that you that you can ever forget I mean this this will possibly be the most one sided Liverpool Man United game that any of us ever see and that it happened at this moment when United seemed to be resurgent just makes it even more painful well, I wonder if this uh, result may live on for Liverpool fans rather more than. Man United fans, of course, they'd have all the interest to to celebrate it for a, a long time. But it might well be that Man United do have a successful season beyond this, that it does prove to be, as Gary Neville was suggesting afterwards, one of those things that happens even in the midst of a successful season, as it has done to other clubs. But for Liverpool, something quite extraordinary. Any other thoughts on events at Anfield before well, we move on from, say, 7-up to perhaps the cherry choke that we saw at... Uh, at uh, the Emirates. Well, it was, it was best summed up by by Andy Robertson afterwards, who said it's it's just three points, James. <laughs> he had the honestly media training really kicking in there. He had the temerity to say with a straight face. Magnificent. All right then. Well, on to other things that happen in the Premier League next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Live Score Bet. With Bet Builder from Live Score Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL, and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners, and whether there'll be a red card, then use Bet Builder from Live Score Bet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre built quick bet options. Bet Builder from Live Score Bet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 
Tony Evans here, host of Walk On, the Athletics' new look Liverpool podcast. 7 0. 7. Count them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. That's what Jürgen's boys can do. And to Manchester United, is that the game to ignite the Reds running? Well, we hope so. Join myself, James Pearce, Kiefer O'Neill, and Andy Jones as we get stuck into Liverpool sticking it to United. Mo Salah's record-breaking afternoon, as well as bringing you the best post-match analysis around. Just search Walk On wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Hello, rare Taobao finds, aka Caketaster404, who says, in that other game... Uh, when that player did that thing. Was that your moment of the weekend? Uh, Tim, I don't think this is Wolves-Spurs yet. I think this is Reese Nelson and this. It's now or not at all. Erdegaard delivers. Headed out by Sanessi. Reese Nelson can hit it! Holy cow. Tom Williams, you were in France. What kind of noises did they make about that one? All sorts of weird guttural uh you know Gallic-ness. very surprised noises yes um yeah i mean incredible the, the the game of the season for me um i mean yeah i mean as as has been remarked upon already how often do you do you get to watch a game where the first goal goes in within the first 10 seconds and the last goal goes in within the um, last second, essentially. In right? the last second of seven minutes of, of stoppage time. I mean, absolutely incredible. And, and you know, th- this idea that, that there is um, that there is something happening at Arsenal this season. You look at the, the you know the, the names of the goal scorers. You know, Ben White scoring his first ever Arsenal goal. Reese Nelson, who hadn't played since November, and comes on and sets up the equaliser, then scores the winner with his weaker foot seven minutes into stoppage time. I mean, it's it's remarkable. And um, you know, you you realise that. The Emirates Stadium has never had moments like this before. Yes, they've celebrated dramatic late winners, but they've never been top of the table at, at this stage of the season. You know, these are entirely new. Um, you know, this is entirely new territory for, for this football club in, in in this stage of its of its development. And you know, we've we've seen dramatic late finishes at the Emirates previously this season. You go back to the the, the home win against Fulham. Uh, the win against Manchester United more recently, but they do keep doing it. And every time it's different players that, that pop up with, with the vital goals. And even though that the squad is is really being stretched now, you know, you look, you look at the, the team that finished the game um, against Bournemouth and obviously Gabriel Jesus has been out for a while. Eddie Nketiah wasn't there. Leandro Trosso goes out injured, but they're still managing to somehow find ways to win games. And uh, yeah, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I remember when I used to go to the Emirates quite regularly to, to cover games and I never used to go there with a huge amount of excitement because you very rarely saw anything to get excited about at Arsenal and the atmosphere was never particularly good um, whereas now it, it just seems to be the most exciting place to be watching football in the, in the entire country and you know and if they do go on to to, to win the league then I, I think we'll look back at, at the, the end of, the, of that game against Bournemouth as as the, one the of the moment. one of the key moments yeah well the, the context of this was extraordinary City previously that afternoon had won 2-0 against Newcastle, so now they were just two points behind. And Arsenal, apparently then choosing a home game against one of the worst teams statistically in the Premier League to have their title wobble in, going going behind within the first 10 seconds, then conceding another. And what, 70 minutes gone, they still they still trailed? They, they do bring it back with that incredible strike. 
and became the first Arsenal team to come from two goals down to win in the Premier League in over a decade. Daniel, what does it mean that they, they did this time? Well, we, I spoke last week to say what Arsenal really need is these regulation, boring, 1-0 wins over teams like Leicester where they don't they barely face a shot on their own goal. But you also need both. If you haven't won a title before, you need these these moments where you stare adversity in the face and then repeatedly push it to the side and carry on marching in the right direction because that can give you a fearlessness that, that makes you think almost, you know, it's a very different experience, but almost like Leicester where they hadn't been there before, but the fact that they kept winning kept making them think, well, this is built on something. This is not just happening by luck. And they've now entered league games in January, February and March where it was two all at the 90th minute and they've won all three of them. Uh, against Manchester United, against Villa when they scored twice uh, and again on Saturday. That suggests that the, that fearlessness may well make a bigger difference than having title-winning experience. People always talk about you need the experience and I'm sure Jesus and, and Zinchenko will help that. But you also need a mood that says, we've not been here before, but that means we've got no fear of it. Like mm-hmm. No one was expecting anything at the start of the season, so why don't we just let this run and see what happens? Tim, what about Reese Nelson's uh, goal? Yeah, and, and, and also, you know, and I know his his end product off the bench has been good, but one of three very unlikely goal scorers as well in, a, in an extremely unlikely game. You know, Party, uh, Ben White, I think it was only his fourth career goal, uh, and Reese Nelson. I mean, Tom said one, one of the games of the season, that's undoubtedly one of the moments, but also one of the noises, mm. the, 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 the pitch of the celebration. Like, that's rare. That's, that's, like a, that's like a cup-winning sort of euphoric, you know, lose your virginity type ecstasy. Um and uh, what, what I looked popping at, the cherries as well. <laughs> hey, hey, I'll just set them up, James. Uh, what I really liked about that moment as well that there was no VAR doubt in this right. one. Um, you know, it was it, it, a long range shot with no suspicion of handball or offside. So there was so no one was doubting it because you get that so often these days, and it really ruins celebrations. Mm. Um, but there was a real purity to it, and yeah, the scenes at full time were just. Incredible. Do you not still get a VAR doubt though? I still do. Because the number of times something is flagged up that no one has spotted. And I must admit that, that, I mean, sadly, but this is what VAR has done to this sport that we love. When the ball hit the net, I very quickly thought, I hope it doesn't get ruled out. And, you know, thankfully it wasn't, but the doubt is still there. I think my favourite moment in the celebrations was William Saliba, who just ran off to the corner flag, I think perhaps thinking that that's where everyone would go, and then realised that they hadn't, because actually the calmest man in the ground was Reese Nelson, who was just sort of, you know, kind of trotting off with a smile on his face. So he gets to the corner flag and thinks, what am I going to do? So he just sort of kicks it, but quite gently, he didn't want to, want to really break it, just gently kick the corner flag and then join the celebrations. I mean, I was watching on the highlights, so I guess I could just I could just enjoy that moment. And... and there's a point to be made here. This isn't anything about the 3pm blackout, but why why this game and, and Arsenal's current run of games aren't on TV, mm. I, I find incredible. It's, it's four of their current five Premier League games are, are not being screened. And like I said, it's not to do with the blackout. This is the ineptitude of Sky and BT for not, not picking their matches. Now, if, you, if you're one of the listeners who, who writes in from time to time saying, why are you always complaining about the blackout and not being able to watch games? It's getting boring. I have to say... That might be your opinion, but the opinion of other people... Here's Colin Miller, for example, who says, uh, Arsenal, this was from Wednesday when they had their their, their midweek win. Arsenal just delivered potentially the defining moment in this season's Premier League title race. It was broadcast around the world, everywhere but the UK. If you're in the UK, it was illegal to watch it, even if you pay over £1,000 a year specifically to watch the Premier League. To me, that's madness, and that's why we keep kind of butting our heads against this, this, this extraordinary kind of illogicality. We could go on much longer about this. Let's just mention uh, a niche stat from Harvey Downs of Opta, who points out that Granit Xhaka dropping to the bench meant that this was the first Arsenal starting eleven since 1986, Tim, not to feature a single player that played for Arsene Wenger or that would go on to play for Arsene Wenger for Arsenal. Boom, how about that? Start of the weekend, sure, but who scored the winning goal? Reese Nelson. Right. Who gave Reese Nelson his debut as an Arsenal player? Arsene Wenger. He's still there in the background, still silently pulling the, the strings. The trace is lingering on, endlessly recycled, like homeopathy. Very much, very much so. Right. Okay, then. Well, it's four wins in a row for Arsenal now since their defeat to Man City. What did City do this weekend? They beat Newcastle 2-0. Goals from Phil Foden. What a lovely run that was. Four goals in three games now for the youngster. Although it looks like he might have 
heard his foot again. Bernardo Silva then scoring two minutes after coming on as a second-half substitute as Newcastle, who only lost two of their opening 29 matches in all competitions this season, went down to their third straight defeat. And if Fulham beat Brentford on Monday night, Magpies will slip to seventh. So, yeah. Newcastle missed some big chances. Mm. I mean, this, you know, I mean, clearly they are on this this bad run and that's what five league games without a win now um, but you know first off Callum Wilson has a very presentable chance that he he sort of tries I think he tried to side foot it when he could have just smashed it and then second half cross comes in from the right on a plate for Joe Linton and he and he doesn't even get any contact on the ball and it, it you know it, it ends up looking like a fairly routine City win but the second City goal came at a time when they were hanging on a little bit and, and Newcastle were you know were, were putting the pressure on but just just couldn't create any of the, couldn't take any of the chances they created. Fair enough, Tom. If it's missed chances you're after, you can't say fairer than Ian Acho for a Leicester in their remarkable performance against Southampton. One of the games we'll be getting on to next. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is out on Monday, covering events in the Continental Cup final where Arsenal recovered from conceding within two minutes here as well against Chelsea at Selhurst Park, but went on to win 3-1, securing their first trophy in four years. An absolute clinic from Kim Little this game. She was absolutely brilliant. All right, more, more on that in Monday's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. You have to wait until Tuesday for the Totally Football Show European edition which will feature much chat about the upcoming European fixtures midweek. Dortmund, of course, travelling to Stamford Bridge on Tuesday. They made it 10 wins in a row this weekend in all competitions uh, with their 2-1 victory over Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Milan, who take on Spurs on Wednesday, meanwhile, got beaten at Fiorentina. And in Paris, Tom, PSG, who are looking to overturn a one-goal deficit as they travel to Bayern Munich, what did they do? They beat Nantes, didn't they? 
they beat Nantes 4-2. They went 2-0 up uh, and then Nantes pegged them back to 2-2 and then they scored a couple of goals at the end, the uh, last of which was Kylian Mbappe's 201st in, in PSG's colours, uh, which took him past Edison Cavani's record of 200 and made him PSG's all-time leading scorer. So there was a little um, little celebration at the end and PSG had prepared a little trophy with 201 on it, like a little, like quite a fancy-looking trophy. And, and the thought occurred... What would they have done if he'd scored twice? Right. Well, maybe. I mean, they've got enough money. They probably had trophies with all sorts of numbers on. Maybe um, so. Do you remember Ian Wright when he had uh, whatever the number And he was? went too early with the shirtlift. Yeah. yeah. But did he not have two T-shirts in case he scored another? Or no, he, he, so he had a vest with 179 right. just done it, which was the... Which was the Nike... Yeah, a, a, a Nike vest. And when he... Because he, he equaled the record and broke the record in the same game. Mm. I can't remember who it was against, but it was at Highbury. And in, in his excitement, when he, he when he equaled the record, so I think he scored his 178th goal, mm. he put his shirt over his head and showed the vest that he'd been wearing for like weeks because I think he was stuck on 177 for absolutely right. ages. Couldn't but wash I mean, it, presumably, because yeah. the, the, the ink would have run. Well, no, I think it was like a properly, it was like a, an official Nike, oh, right. you know, Nike printed vest. So that, that wouldn't have been No, no, no. But then sometimes print. football. Or was it? No, I, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google. It was printed. Producer Charlie's all over this and he's. It, it was, was printed. printed. I knew it was yeah. printed. I had it handwritten in my ear. Well, because it's it, more it, romantic, it was, isn't it? It was the t- well, it was the time when footballers would often like wear an undershirt with a message that they'd written themselves yeah. like, crudely in felt pen that you often couldn't read. Couldn't read um, it, yeah. Watching on TV. Well, all right. Now, the Premier League this weekend, you're wondering, listener, what else happened? Well, Saturday, Villa beat Palace 1-0. Palace are still without a win this year. Brighton did West Ham four goals to nil. There was a rare victory for Chelsea, a 1-0 over Leeds, and victories by the same scoreline for Wolves, Tim, over Spurs, and perhaps more remarkably, Saints over Leicester, who had James Madison playing. Sunday, uh, before that business at Anfield, at the City Ground, there was a, a storming 2-2 draw between Nottingham Forest and Everton as well. As previously mentioned, Brentford against Fulham is on Monday night. Rob M says, are we in for the most entertaining relegation battle in history? Fair to say everyone from Palace in 12th downwards is involved. Rob M settling in for some real rubbernecking fun. What, <laughs> what do you think? It does look tight at the bottom, doesn't it? The bottom four, Leeds, Everton, Saints and Bournemouth, separated by just one point. And as mentioned, the Palace, Wolves, Forest and Leicester and West Ham are all well within range. Yeah, I think I think Wolves now, I mean, Tim will maybe have some inbuilt pessimism to disagree with me, but I think Wolves are probably safe now. They're really? definitely moving in the right direction. They're winning games, whereas everyone else seems to be drawing them. And they're beating teams not just in the bottom six. All right, let's unleash Tim Spears with his Molyneux match report. Uh, The old goal with an old school win here, Tim. Yeah, um... It was it was an interesting game. It was it was nil what nil it? for the majority of it, and mm. and and I had had your your thoughts in my head, James, when you you previewed the match last week by saying it would be a bleak affair. Did I say that? You did say the word bleak, uh, and you were right. You were right to say that. Um, yeah, Spurs had twenty one shots in this game, but somehow didn't score. And um, Wolves showed to me, you know, how, they're the two teams I follow closest. That they have the, a far stronger squad than Tottenham do. They made five subs before the 67th minute and got stronger as the game went on. Uh, Tottenham's first sub came in the 77th minute when they sent on Lucas Moura, who's leaving the club in the summer and has barely kicked the ball this season, which kind of shows you where where their squad is at um, at the moment. Richarlison and Richarlison came on for the last six minutes, and and Dan Juma, who who did so much uh, so many good things for Villarreal last season, didn't even come off the bench. So. Um, yeah, Spurs basically uh, threw the FA Cup uh, in midweek when they rested everyone at Sheffield United. Right. Um, only to lose uh, 1-0 at Wolves for the for the game they rested their players for. So um, they're a bit shambolic at the moment. Antonio Conte's back yeah. this week. Um, his last game was AC Milan away and mm. he's decided he's missed a few domestic games. Now he's back for the, sec- for the second leg, which is nothing at all to do with the fact that he's out of contract in the summer uh, and might be looking to go back to Italy to get another job. But anyway... Um, yeah, another interesting thing about this game was Diego Costa, who started his first game in a while. Right. He came off with quite a bad injury, but whether he's injured or not, I'd be surprised to see him in a Wolf shirt again. Um, I was told before the game that it would look like you were watching a steward who'd been given a shirt 
uh, tried to play football up front. Um, I've called him the wish version of Diego Costa on this podcast before, mm. but I, I, I think that's a bit that doesn't quite do it justice, to be honest. It reminded me of in 2006, uh, Wolves played a friendly against Aston Villa, and a 40-year-old Steve Ball was given five minutes on the pitch just just for a kind of you know. Uh, um, he popped his knee in the morning and, and couldn't actually straighten his leg, and um, but he was far more mobile than than Diego Costa was at the weekend. It was it's actually quite sad to be honest that um, he just he's he's lost all of his 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 super villain powers but still Wolves are waiting for a striker to score a goal it's mm. been it's been 12 months now Traore popping up with the winner yeah in this game yeah and like, like Daniel says I think they'll be absolutely fine you know um, they've claimed the scalps of Spurs and Liverpool now they've beaten a few teams around them and um, they look like a proper team which is more than I could say for Spurs in the last right. week right Spurs who as you mentioned went out to Sheffield United in the FA Cup midweek uh, remarkable that Antonio Conte has been nominated for manager of the month in February uh, he, he was only in the dugout for one game in that time, and it was a defeat at Leicester. How does that <laughs> Yeah, work? but maybe maybe this kind of self-sacrificing, I'm going to let someone else have a go. Uh, I'm glad that we've finally ended this. Christian Stellini is actually the brilliant brains behind the whole operation all along thing. He's now thankfully lost a couple of matches, so he's just the same. Spurs w- can bring anyone down, even your kind of super-powered assistant manager. If Conte does win manager of the month, I hope him and Stellini do like a joint trophy lift nice. like you get in the FA Cup sometimes when the club captain's been out for 10 months. But, you know, it would be a lovely, to be involved. lovely scene indeed. Very good. Uh, Nick Miller, by the way, if you are fascinated by the weird workings of the manager of the month award, uh, Nick Miller has a big piece coming out, out about it uh, soon for The Athletic. Uh, Wolves are going to be all right is the conclusion there. Spurs and their top four ambitions we're not quite so convinced about. Saints, meanwhile, who moved out of last place this weekend with their 1-0 win over Leicester. Only the second home win of the season in the league. And uh, just what they needed after also getting dumped out of the FA Cup last week, uh, in their case, by League Two, Grimsby. Crikey. Yeah, bad. another bad day for Brendan Rodgers, who... It made me laugh after the game. Brendan, understandably, has spent most of this season saying we need new players in order to improve. Uh, we need more investment. We need fresh faces. Uh, we need James Madison fit. Then they lose to the team bottom of the Premier League without having a shot on target, having not even had a shot on target, of having only had one shot the week before with these new players in the team. And Madison was back this weekend. And after the game, he was like, well, the thing is, it's the start of a new cycle, so this is going to take time. And I thought, <laughs> if I'm a Leicester fan, I, I really don't want to hear like another reason why this is going to take a bit longer to come together. They they look really poor. I think they will be fine, but they've lost three in a row now in the league. and Yeah, four um, in all competitions. So. Yeah, they've, they've also, they're really bad at, drawing games which can make a difference when you're in a relegation fight they've only drawn three games this season they've lost 15 which is more than anyone apart from Southampton so yeah they are they're looking they're sort of itching again and Rodgers was booed after during the game and the away fans are really not happy with how they perform so yeah a few big weeks ahead for him again right uh, Brighton meantime inflicting uh Misery once more on West Ham, who'd had that big 4-0 victory the previous week against Nottingham Forest. This time they were on the wrong end of that scoreline, down at the Amex. Are Brighton Liverpool's biggest rivals in the top four race, Tom Williams? They are. Um, I mean, I think they, I think they are genuine rivals. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's not inconceivable that, that, they will, that they will mount a challenge for, for the top four. I mean, where are they currently? Eighth. Seven points off Spurs, but with three games in hand. Yeah. Um, you tend to think that at some point Spurs will find some kind of second wind, that, that Newcastle will, will get over this um, this current slump. Um, you know, Fulham are up there as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, on, on the on the form of, of recent weeks with, with Spurs and Newcastle on the slide and, and, and Liverpool resurgent, I think you'd, um, yeah, if you were putting money on it, you'd probably put it, put it on Liverpool at the moment. I was just saying that second goal was absolutely crazy. But, but Veltman, he stood, oh. in, stood in the six-yard box completely on his own. Well, the, well, the keeper's marking him, essentially. Well, the keeper's pointing <laughs> to him, yeah. <laughs> and then n- nobody takes any notice. And then he just, yeah. he just chests it in. Um, I mean, West Ham, like you say, they won 4-0 last week. Now they lose 4-0. You know, United won a cup final last week. Now they lose 7-0. But there is a lot of that this season, this this wild inconsistency from one week to the next. What do you put it down to? I guess I, the, the World Cup must have played some, some kind ah. of havoc mm. with the schedule, maybe, you know. 
Um, it's proper West Ham as well, isn't it? But it, it is proper West Ham as well, yeah. Win 4-0 one week. Yeah, there we go, lads. Season's, season's relaunched. Lose 4-0 the next week. Oh, no, it's not. It's just one long Roy Hodgson gif just being played over and over again. And I just briefly, on the Brighton goals, I um, I didn't catch the name of the, the Match Today commentator, but when uh, Kaoru Mitoma slid in to score Brighton's third, the Match Today commentator said... Out it goes, grows Mitoma! Stop it! Absolutely brilliant from Brighton. Beautifully creative. I think it was Veltman involved again with a little back heel on the edge of the box, driven cross from the right hand side, and, and Mitoma slides in to score again. Um, and yeah, an- another another Brighton masterclass. I was about to say Brighton are becoming under Roberto Deserbi these kind of extraordinary entertainers. They, they 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 still don't have a striker who scores regularly, but they had tw- but 12 different Brighton players had a shot on Saturday, which is I don't know if that's beaten been beaten in the Premier League this season, but it's it's pretty hard given that, you know, by definition you only have 10 outfielders. Um and yeah, eight different players created chances. I think like six different players had sort of 15 or more touches in the final third. They just, they just he's turned them into this kind of I don't know, James, you'll know more than me, but does Zerbi have a reputation for being like this sort of expressive and expansive in uh, Italy or not? Well, they always had the potential to do this kind of thing, but not on this consistent a basis. Uh, they yeah. were, uh, I think, quite a streaky team. I mean, he had some amazing results with them and they, they played very attacking football. But Berardi kind of led a lot of that. Yeah I, suppose, I, I, that, yeah, I think that was the thing. We thought, you know, Berardi and some of the other players that they had who've enjoyed less success at the other clubs they've... They've uh, Raspadori and, and, and uh, Scamacca, of course. But, yeah. No, I think he's been a, a revelation at Brighton. Certainly for all those people who were banging on about our league and that when he was uh, appointed and the number of clubs he'd, he'd been at. Uh, yeah, there you go. West Ham's heaviest defeat of the season and they've still never beaten Brighton in 12 Premier League meetings. One or two question marks once again about David Moyes' future. Of course, uh, West Ham have got a trip to Cyprus in the Europa Conference League on Thursday. They're taking on AK Larnaca in the last 16. Forrest, meanwhile, uh, Daniel, ahead of your game at Anfield, another four-goal encounter, but evenly shared this time. Yes, the, the, the worry was always that the home form would drop off and leave them not winning any games. And we talked about Dr. Tottenham, if, I think, last week and Dr. Forrester playing Dr. Tottenham next week. So the kind of movable force and uh, shiftable mass meet at, at Tottenham Hotner Stadium. They're going to have to improve that away form because they're not good enough at defending, unfortunately. Um, Everton did what Everton do or will to try and do under Dyche, which was kind of set-piece threat, and they were, they were good for that. Um, but Brennan Johnson, again, is brilliant. Whatever happens to Forrest this season and next, he is going to very soon become a hot property because he's still only 21 and he's since the World Cup he's been absolutely mustered. Right, Tom, are you a fan perhaps of Great Welsh Hope, Brennan Johnson? Oh, big fan, big fan and yeah, as Daniel says, I mean, I, I think of players aged 21 or under in the Premier League this season, only Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli have scored more goals than Brennan Johnson. He's got seven in the league now, nine in all competitions um, and obviously that's you know that's great news for Forrest but it's also great news for Wales because we have lost uh, a, a fairly significant attacking talisman uh, since the World Cup in the shape of Gareth Bale and, and not to not to put undue pressure on on Brennan Johnson but for a player that young playing in a, a team who were who were fighting to avoid relegation and, and managing to score goals um, in the way that he is. I mean, he almost got a hat-trick. Uh, he had a couple of chances towards the end of the game. I mean, I think it, it augurs really well for, for him, for Forrest and, and for Wales too. Magnificent. I think if you say, you know, in him and, and Gibbs White, mm. who a, a Forrest fan uh, who might not be too far away, uh, was telling me in in uh, Milan a couple of weeks ago was their most talented player since Van Hooydonk, was it, Daniel? Or, or your yeah, fav- I think so, your favorite in terms player? of natural talent. You know, yeah. in, in terms of, if, the, if those two players, you know, if Forrest stay up and, and build another team and sign another 20 players are, are around those two, then then the future looks bright. Um, I'm also going to channel my inner Duncan Alexander here and say that uh, for two low-scoring teams, it was a surprising scoreline. In fact, 10% of Forrest and Everton's combined goals for the whole season came, really? came in this game. In this yeah. one game, remarkable. Also, the fact that Sean Dyche was playing a false nine formation caused plenty of comment, not least from Chris King, who says what a surprise mm. that was. It, it, it was still quite a Dyschean performance, was it not? By Yeah, and, and false nine... I suppose, yes, technically, Damara Gray was playing as a false nine, but, but he was also playing with like six... Mid, it was basically just a mm. six midfielder formation with no, with no strikers. Um that yeah, second they, they, goal, though. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, but then Daesh has got a season ticket for us. He's been watching them all season. Oh. He knows they're not particularly good at defending. He knows he is very good at creating set piece routines. And yeah, that'll that'll do. They're, they're going to try and stay in the Premier League with a back post corner routine. And good luck to them. All right. So he, he he's been. Prior to his yeah. engagement, he'd been basically pitching up at the city ground every week. Yeah, he, him and him and his assistant Ian Wone, who they both played for Forest, uh, right. had season tickets in the in the main stand. Yeah, huh. there you go. Excellent. A uh, couple of other games to mention. Both one nil. Chelsea beating Leeds by that scoreline. Only their third win in their last sixteen games. Wesley Fofana uh, with the goal. Uh, Kai Havertz not with the goal. Uh, Graham Potter's a tactical whiz, so he's probably aware of this, but you were making points, Daniel, about Kai Havertz's suitability as a centre-forward, specifically that he doesn't score. He's caught offside more than any player, any player in the Premier League this season. Also, the player in the Premier League who commits the most fouls, which is not a great Mm. combination for your your big hope up front. No, he he, he doesn't take the chances he gets. And in in that... Chelsea style he doesn't get that many chances it's a pretty good combination really mm. um, yeah I mean and it, and it just speaks I know we've said this repeatedly but it just speaks of this kind of weird situation where you've got Mudrick on the bench who cost nearly 90 million pounds and didn't even come on uh, because Jao Felix a lone player is starting ahead of him who also isn't a striker and there's just no striker so you, they're almost they're basically picking Havertz by default because Aubameyang is not really wanted and probably won't be there next, or definitely won't be there next season. On Leeds, as well, I just wanted to say on Leeds, they've played nine games away at teams in seventh and below, nine away games this season, and they've taken one point, which is at Southampton. They will go down if they don't start picking up at any away points. Should Chelsea should Chelsea adopt a kind of Dyshian six midfielders and uh, corner routines approach? I mean, they've well, got they, enough midfielders, they did. haven't they? They did, they did. Wesley Fafana scores the goal and... They play six midfielders, you know, six yeah, non-strikers. So there you go, there you go, trendsetter. Just again on Chelsea brief, it's a fascinating experiment of you know how to build a team with seemingly limitless resources, um, but not signing any strikers. And someone reminded me yesterday that they you know that they are also signing Christopher Nkunku, albeit that hasn't yet been officially announced. And he scored a lot of goals for Leipzig, but he's not really a striker either. He's another kind of you know nine and a half. 10-ish, can play wide if you, if you need him to. Just this determination to give Graham Potter a, a squad that is kind of 65% floaty, you know, wide players come attacking midfielders, come support strikers, 30% centre-backs and left-backs, but, but no centre-forwards. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but that doesn't make it any less watchable. Mm, there you go. Aston Villa, meanwhile... An example of competency, once again, as they beat Crystal Palace. That is, since Emery took charge, Villa fifth in the league in results. Yeah, and only Arsenal and Manchester City with more wins. Um, yeah, they, the the easiest way to say it is that it's very easy to forget that when Steven Gerrard was sat there, only outside the relegation zone on goals scored. It feels a long, long time ago that Villa were in that relegation fight and and it is just competence I think they've got decent players I still think they should pick Emi Buendia every week and pick him more but other than that they're they're just doing the basics well I think they're beating the teams at home that they're better than uh, and they're getting those kind of other than the you know they lost to Leicester at home that's the only really poor result I think and that was counteracted by them beating Manchester United so yeah they're just doing competent things well and this season that's enough to have you about 10th in the Premier League. Buendia played one pass to Ollie Watkins that was one of the passes of the season um, sort of created the, the one big chance that Watkins had in the first half and he put it wide. But yeah, I agree with Daniel. Every time I watch Buendia, I'm impressed. There you go. Southampton, moving out of last place, as I mentioned here, is that a long-term trend you see being continued? I mean, I think we're, we're already seeing what, what Ruben Sellers is going to try and do. Um, and just to sort of further bury the Nathan Jones era, he does just seem to be going back to what Ralph Hasenhutl was, was doing. The same kind of shape, the same sort of compactness. They won away at Chelsea in, in his first game before he'd been confirmed as manager. Um, and albeit they were, uh, they were reliant on a string of pretty remarkable misses from Kelechi Iheanacho. You know, they, they do seem to have something about them again. And yeah, just another team, you know, we, we go back to the teams that are in that relegation battle. And I, I think pretty much every team down there 
has got something to cling to. Either they've just got good players who aren't playing very well, or they've you know changed managers and the new manager has got ideas. And I think Southampton, I mean, they've got lots of good players, but they they, they certainly seem to have a coach who's got who's got ideas as well. Carlos Alcaraz scored the the winner, right? Um, but th- there was a really disappointing lack of escape via Alcaraz uh, headlines, yeah, uh, from Britain's uh, headline writers. Which yeah, someone did one. I think someone did do one. I have seen an escape oh, from Alcaraz headlines somewhere, <laughs> <laughs> and that man was Tim Spears. I think it was in the Guardian actually. There you go. Excellent. Well, uh, we do have Brentford Fulham coming up Monday night. We'll talk about that in Thursday's show. Before that, as mentioned, there is the Tuesday Totally Football Show, which will be rounding up all the events from the weekend around the continent and what to expect from the Champions Europa and Conference League. For now, many, many thanks to Tim Spears, Tom Williams and Daniel Storey and the freshly returned producer, Charlie. And you, listener, no name necessary there. You know who you are. We will be returning soon. Hope you'll be with us for now from all of us here. It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. 